Okay, we this week is Parshas Vayakel. In addition, we'll take out a second save for Torah and read from Shkalim, which we read last week already. Um, and there's lots and lots to uh, discuss. There's three uh, major areas. We'll ask the questions in all of them, and Hashem should help us, Mir Hashem, that we could finish them all in one shot. We'll see. Let's start at the very beginning of the Parsha. I've given to you the first five psukim are in the first source. By Yakel Moshe Eskol Adas B'nei Yisrael. Moshe gathers the entire congregation of Israel, and that means everybody. Men, women, children. Everybody's gathered together. These are the words that Hashem has commanded them to do. Commanded you to do. So, and then we go in the next two psukim, a discussion of Shabbos. Six days you shall you work you shall do your work. Seventh day will be Kodesh, a Shabbos to Hashem. Anyone who does work will die. Then we're told not to burn a fire in all our dwelling places. Now he's still talking to them. Not until about twenty psukim from now does it say, okay, then they went and they left. Okay, so now the first question is, is this the first time the Jews have been told about Shabbos? No. When were they told about Shabbos? At Sinai. Well, at Mara they were told about Shabbos. At Sinai they were told about Shabbos. And again they're being told about Shabbos. So why are we told about Shabbos again? Question number one. Question number two, we have nowhere else in the Torah where... Moshe gathers everyone together. The normal way he taught Torah, he taught Torah first to, he would teach it to um, the, the smartest people, and then a few more people would come, and a few more people would come. There was a regular way he taught. He didn't bring everybody there. So why is this being brought in front of everybody? Second question. It's interesting, the Yalkut Shimoni and source number two asks this question, this first question. And uh, I gave you more the whole Hebrew, but the English, I don't have patience to translate it all. I'm good. But uh, <laughs> so the, the, he comments, uh, the officer's comments that the rabbis say, you go from the beginning of the Torah until the end, doesn't say anywhere, Vayakel gathered them, and he gathered it together. Except this one. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean? So, Omer HaKadosh Baruch HaShem said, Make yourself big groups. And teach publicly before them the laws of Shabbos. So future generations shall learn for you. To gather groups together on every Shabbos. And to go into the study halls, Lilmo, to learn, to teach the Jews, the words of Torah, what's permitted, what's not permitted. So that my great name will be honored amongst my children. Praise between my children. Little typo over there. Fix it up. This is the first yeshiva in the Torah. Well, no, it's just saying on Shabbos. But still. Okay, so we see from here, and this is 
where the, the custom throughout the days of the Talmud is that people got together on Shabbos. They all came to shul and they got together. This probably has evolved finally as the rabbis drush on Shabbos. Everyone gets together. Okay, and you're going to praise my name. Now the Medrash ends off. Mikan Amro, from here we see Moshe, Tikein Lam Yisrael, Moshe established for them, Shedorshim Binyonah Shalyom, Hochos Pesach, Pesach. He said you should, you should teach the, the topic of the day, the laws of Pesach, on Pesach, Sukkos, Shvuos on Shvuos, Sukkos on Sukkos. And Moshe said to the Jews, Imata Osin Keseder Zef, you will do this? HaKadosh Baruch Hu Malalechem, Hashem will consider it Ki'iluhim Lachtem Osib Olami. Hashem will consider it as Hashem will say, it's like you coronated me in my world. And it brings a Pesach to support that. Fascinating, fascinating. The question is, how is this coronating Hashem in my world? Why will Hashem consider this crowning him? There's nothing else that will crown him. And moreover, why is this commandment given now? Why at this point in time? Okay. And for what purpose? Uh, for, for, for Shabbos? That means to say that until now, no, the Jews don't have to get together on Shabbos. So what is this thing that, that Moshe now establishes we already had Shabbos a few times, and now we say, no, now I really want you guys to get together on Shabbos. Like, why? Wasn't wasn't good enough till now? So what's going on over here? And this is what coronates Hashem? Why is that so? Okay, so that's one issue. Another pressing issue, back in Source 1, so after the first three psukim, he gathers them together, he tells them the laws of Shabbos. Okay, now we understand why why he's telling them Shabbos because he wants to do something new. Gather together and get together in the shuls and learn Torah on Shabbos. There's a lot of questions, but I can't ask so many. Then we go to Pusik Dalit. Now, are the Jews all in front of Moshe? Yes. Yes. So Pusik Dalit. Did he dismiss them? No. Good. Moshe speaks to the whole congregation of Israel. Well, we know he's talking to the whole congregation of Israel. And he says, This is what Hashem has commanded to do, to say. And now he goes, the next passage, now he gives us the command of the truma, to collect truma and to start building the mishkan, blah, 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 blah. It was out for about 20 psukim, and then it says, they heard that and then they left. What's this passage doing over here? They already were together. They already congregated them together. They didn't leave. There's no hint that they left. So why is it now say again? And Moshe said to all the Jewish people, of course, they were all there. Right? He didn't dismiss anybody. He dismisses them later. If it, if it wouldn't have said later on, he dismissed them. Maybe you figure, okay, he dismissed them. He brought them back. But no, later on, it says clearly, Moshe dismissed them and they left. So what's this mentioning this whole thing about the congregation of Israel again? When they now are hearing for the first time of uh, the Mishkan. So this is one set of questions. Part one. That's for the beginning of the Parsha. Now we move on to the next section of the Parsha. The appointment of Bitzalel. And he is the one who's going to be the one in charge of building the Mishkan. 
So the third source says, Vayomer Moshe B'nei Yisrael. Moshe says to the Jewish people, Ru'u, see, Kura Hashem B'Shem. Hashem is called by name. B'Tzalel ben Uri ben Chur Lamati Yehuda. B'Tzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Chur, from the tribe of Yehuda. Well, comes along Rashi. In case you don't know, in case you don't know, who is Chur? Bina Shel Miriam Hoyer, the son of Miriam. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Very nice. Okay, so you didn't know that. Well, I guess the reason you didn't know that and nobody else didn't know that is if you didn't bother to look up Rashi's earlier in the Torah. You look at source 5, 6, 7, and 8. Earlier, this is Shmos Lamedei. Let's go back to the battle with Amalek at the end of Parsons Bishalach. Vayas Yeshua Kasher Melo Moshe Vilochem Ba Amalek Yeshua is as Moshe of the Fayvok Umoshe Aaron Vechur Ola Roshi Giva Moshe Aaron Echur went to the top of the mountain. Look at Rashi over there. Oh, you want to know who Chur is? Binoshel Miriam, the son of Miriam. Vekolev Bala, and Kolev was her husband. Oh, so we know another thing. Kolev was her husband. But Rashi already told us this like six parshas ago. And if that's not enough, source number five, when Moshe, it's Parshas Mishpatim, when Moshe is going up to the mountain to get the Torah and he's telling people to stay in charge. So it's, uh, I'm sorry, where am I up to? Source Seven. six. Seven. Uh, one second, five, six, seven. Yes, thank you, seven. Well, Skadi Mamber, the eldest said, Shvulanu, Bosei, you return out of Shernosh Aleichem. Vine Aaron, Vachuri Machem, I have Aaron and Chur with you. Me, Baal Dvorim, you guys, whoever has a judgment, go to them. And Rashi says, who's Chur? Vine Oshel Miriam, the son of Miriam. Vavim, Kalabin Yavin, his father's called Yavin. I don't understand what's going on over here. Why does Rashi three times have to tell me who he is? And more than that, each time he says it different. No. It's a Gilgul. Not a Gilgul. It's, it's the same whore. It's a, this is the whore. Whore is the same whore when we fought Amalek. A couple weeks later, their, their motion's going up to get the second Lucho. Same whore. You got Bitzalel building the Mishkan. Same whore, same person, and if anything, Rashi here gives you the least amount of information. <laughs> here he just says he's the son of Miriam. The first time he said, look at each time Rashi's saying it different. First time, the son of Miriam, and Kalev was her husband. The second time, the son of Miriam, and the father was Kalev. Didn't say the husband, was the father was Kalev. And this time, in this part, it's just say the daughter, the son of Miriam. What is going on with these Rashis? Interesting questions. Okay, that is the uh, second issue over here. Uh, oh, and a little bit more. Still on this issue. Okay, why is Bitsalo being chosen? Why is Batsal being chosen? 
So the Medrash Rava says, why was Bitzal being chosen? So again, the English, I don't think I uh, gave you the full amount. I don't think I gave you the full amount over there. Uh, so why do we have to mention... So, so Rava says, why do we mention Hor? So he says, at the time that the Jewish people were worshipping the golden calf, were about to worship the golden calf, Hor gave up his life for Hashem and tried to stop them. Uh, Saul's grandfather were tried to stop them. And they got up and they killed him. So Hashem says, I swear I'm going to pay you back. So he gives an analogy to a king who his, who his legions are rebelling against him. His general comes and he is loyal to him and he fights with them. And he says uh, to the king, they're rebelling and he gets up the general, he kills them all. So the king says, uh, if you gave me money, shouldn't I have to pay you back? If you gave me money, I'd have to pay you back. All the more so. You gave me my life. What can I do? What I'm going to do is, all the children come from you, I will give them important jobs. That's an analogy. So too, when the Jews still made the golden calf, Hur stood up, and he gave his life for Kodesh Baruch Hu. Hashem says, I swear that all your children will come from you. I will uh, I will uh, call them by name. And that's how by Betzal, a grandson, he benefits from that. That's why Betzal was chosen. So, you know, if, if the Medrash wouldn't have given the analogy, then I would have been okay. They just say he gave up his life, so he gets it. But no, he gives the whole analogy. Usually a mushal analogy has to be similar to the nimshal, to the reality. But here it's not so. In what way? Well, let's look at the story. The general gets up. Now, does he squash the rebellion or not? He didn't. The general and the mushal, certainly he did. Certainly he did. He fought. Amdu, he got up for and he killed them all. He, he squashed the rebellion. Ah, so the king says, oh, well, you squashed the rebellion. So I'm going to reward your children. <clears throat> Did Hor stop the rebellion? No. no. So then where's the analogy? It's not enough to say, well, he was willing to. What do you mean he's willing to? So if you're willing to, what does it help? He didn't squash the rebellion. But they were all powerful. Oh, I understand. But don't give this analogy. Don't give this analogy. You want to say he gets it because he gave his life up? Fine. But the analogy is not the reality. So that's a problem. That's a problem. This second section of the class. Okay, let's move on to the third section. Now we're moving, pushing on to the kior, to the wash basin. And we find a very interesting story going on with the wash basin. It says in source number 10, Vayas Asakir Nechoshes, he made a copper wash basin with a stand, that's counter Nechoshes. Very unusual words now. Bimaros Hatsovos. From the mirrors of the women, Asher Tsovu Pesach who performed tasks at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Rashi really says, it means more, they gathered over there. Okay, so, so what's going on over here? Very unusual wording over it. Just say he made the, the basin 
with the mirrors that the women gave. But there's a whole thing over here. The mirrors of the women who were at the tent of meeting. I mean, where else are people donating if they're not at the tent of meeting? And now we got a fascinating Rashi. I'm not going to read the whole Rashi inside now because later I'm going to go through it very carefully. But I'm sure many of you are familiar with this Rashi. Where did the women have the mirrors from and what were they using the mirrors for? To put makeup for themselves. Yes, yeah, so everybody says, and Rashi says, they would they would try to beautify themselves with the makeup. So what are they doing now? They want to give this donation. So Rashi says, Moshe didn't want to take it. Moshe was repulsed by that. Because that's the tools of the Yetzirah. To make yourself look beautiful. Hashem said, take it. Because this is more precious than any other gift they're giving. And then Rashi goes on to explain what the women used it for. And therefore, at the end, he uh, he took it. So, how did Chazal know there was a whole debate between Moshe and Hashem? So it must be because that's what those extra words in the Pasuk are saying. The women are standing around the Mishkan. What do you mean they're standing around the Mishkan? Well, they all come with their... Uh, now, anything else you gave to the Mishkan, let's say women had uh, bracelets, let's say they had gold uh, ear, uh, earrings, everything was smelted down. You didn't know where it came from. Here, it's like real mirrors. So everyone knows what it's from. You don't smelt down mirrors. Everyone knows it's for makeup. So Moses says, I'm not taking these gifts. Oh, you tell women you're not taking their gifts. Wow. Oh, oh, oh. So wow. they're, making a, they're making a protest. A women's march. That's what it's saying. The women, they're, they're, they're legions of women here. Hey, Moses not taking it. Hashem says, you take it now. But that really begs a lot of questions. It makes it sound like Moshe is not a very smart fellow. Now we know Moshe is a very smart fellow. Because we know so Moshe, by this point of time already, he already has, as we call, a Torah mind. I can give you many examples, but a simple one is when Korach comes to, uh, not much later, Korach comes to rebel, he asks the question about a garment that's all blue. Do I have to put tzitzis on it? Now, Moshe did not answer, Hashem says you have to put tzitzis on it. He doesn't say that. Because if he said that, then Korach really couldn't say anything. He says, I, I'm sure that you don't have to, uh, you have to put tzitzis on it. In other words, Moshe's understanding of the Torah was so clear, and he was right. Then Korach could rebel. Who says you're so smart? Who said that's what it is? But it was. So you know Moshe is very keen of understanding the Torah. So how could he be so wrong this time? And more than that, I mean, what was Mo- if Moshe thought it was, you know, something that, that shouldn't be in the Mishkan? It's not Snis. It's not modest. We shouldn't. This is the tools of the HR. He knows what he's talking about. So what's Hashem enlightening him about? That he doesn't know. So it must be something he doesn't know. But 
What does he not know? Are these not the tools of the HR? So what, as they say in Gamarling, is what's the shackle of Atariya? What's the question is? What's the give and take over here? And really, if you look at the Rashi, it's a whole story how the women used it in Egypt. So they'd be attractive to their husbands and the whole spiel. What's Rashi giving us a whole spiel? Which is usually not what Rashi does to give us a whole spiel. Okay, that is uh, the question over here. And and what makes this the most special gift? It's, it's like mekatsel katsa. It's not like Moshe was a little bit off. He was way off. He says it's repulsive. God says it's the best. Wow. <laughs> That's like, whoa. Like you really missed the boat, Moshe. And Moshe, if Moshe doesn't know, he says, I don't know. But if he says he knows, he knows. So what do you mean? He doesn't know? Like, like he's way off in not knowing over here? No. So these are the three sets of questions. Again, what's this whole gathering up in the beginning of the Parsha? And this is now a new mitzvah Shabbos. What was going on beforehand? And, and now if we get together, Mamish is like you're crowning Hashem. What does that mean? Why does it say again in Pesach Dalet? And he, and he spoke to the entire congregation about the mission. They're already there. What are these different interpretations about Hur being the son of, of, of uh, Miriam? And, and so many times Rashi saying it in different ways. And why does Betzal get rewarded? Because his grandfather gave his life, but he didn't succeed. And what's the give and take with the Moshe and Kodesh Baruch over here? This is the big agenda that I have to, Mitzvah Hashem, finish on time. So let's take one at a time. But we're going to go, not backwards, we'll go to the middle group, middle set of questions, last set of questions, and then if we have enough time, we'll go to the first set of questions. Let's start with the following. You know, there's a saying that the Gansa Welt is Meshiga. The whole world is Meshiga. But even though the whole world is Meshiga, we got to deal with them. <laughs> so let's say you have, you're doing something. You have this idea, you're doing something. Chveish, you, you, you bought a dress, you bought a suit. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And everybody says what you did was wrong. Everybody. That's the most ugliest dress I ever saw. Everybody's telling you this. Everybody's what a stupid car you bought. Or let's say you're making a decision in a, in a business meeting and everybody says, you don't know what you're talking I don't care if you're the CEO. You're nuts. It's not like there's a... It's everybody. Democrats and Republicans. And independents. And socialists. They all say he's wrong. What would a, a sane person, how would he react to that? How would he react? Maybe well, the immediate second, reaction is, maybe I'm making a mistake. Right? Maybe I should reconsider. Okay. So, what happened What happened at the Ego Hazel? Moshe does not come down. What was the consensus of the Jewish people he wasn't down. of what should happen. The consensus is Moshe's not coming back. The consensus is Aaron is even helping making the whatever they're going to make. Doesn't know yet. Um, what are they basically saying? What are they basically saying? They lost faith. 
That's not the root. The root is this religion is too hard. This religion is too oppressive. We need a little distance from Hashem. It's too much. It's like, and, and as we explained last Shabbos about the um, emotional humility that's required that we talked about on Shabbos in some of the classes. God expects too much from us. Let's make a golden calf. Get a little space. I still believe in Hashem. We're not throwing all the up, but the way he's designed it is like really crazy. That you got every single thing is legislated. You can't move. You can't lift a finger. You got to wait for more. So it's, it's, it might be a great, but but everybody, with everybody saying this. Now, of course. Now, remember, and this is very important. Of course, Hashem doesn't need to rethink anybody, anything. But in the context of His relationship with us that He has created, that we have, remember the real God. Doesn't ever have to change his mind. Doesn't have to. He knows what he's doing. But as God has, has given us a Torah, ready, He says He wants to have a relationship with us. So He deals with us as it were, like He's one of us. But it's not true. But we have to understand that context. So we say He would kiviachol, as if it were. So maybe Hashem should rethink His policy. Maybe He should rethink His policy. You know, there should be some certain doubts cast in his mind. You know what? They can't take it. Maybe I got to make it a little bit easier. After all, no one's defending us, but they all think I'm crazy. What kind of God, what kind of religion am I doing? Even Aaron isn't sticking up for me. Nobody. So at that point, Hashem could seriously be considering to quote unquote change his mind and rethink. But there is one person who stands up for God and says, God, you know what you're doing. Uh, and who is that? That's Hur. He stood up for Hashem. Hur got up and said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. The system is correct. God is correct. He knows what he's doing. You guys got the problem. It's not his problem. Now, what did Hur do when he said that? Not just defended Hashem, and here's the word I'm going to say at least 50 times tonight. He validated Hashem's perspective. As long as somebody thinks he's okay, that already is a validation. You know, sometimes when the rabbi has to make a difficult decision, sometimes... Not often, sometimes. And he makes a decision, and nobody likes the decision. Now, whatever a rabbi gets up a shul, they've been talking and talking every shout, every says, there's not going to be any more talking again. No matter what's going to happen in that shul. Now, how does the rabbi know if he's on any solid ground or not? What does the Rebbeson say to him? <laughs> the Rebbeson says, says, Yossi, you're wrong. That's wow. it, he's finished. He's finished. <laughs> Reverend says, you know what? As much as this opposition, I think you're doing the right thing. Okay. Then he's been validated. So Hur, although Hashem does not need validation as the God, that's the God of everything, but in the context of the relationship, 
Churvalish, and the greatest thing you can do for anyone is to validate them. Is there anything you could do for somebody that's greater than validating them? And that's what Hur did. And this is going to be our discussion for today. Everybody needs validation. Everybody. Because everybody has enormous insecurities. You know, in the younger generation, for sure they don't have insecurities. They don't know if they're buying clothes that's cool or not cool. And people are going to think they're not with it. And and, and what, are, what are people thinking about me? What are people saying about me? Or you, you're trying to, um, <clears throat> you know, take entrance exams. And what's going to happen if you fail the MCATs or the LSAT? You know, people are very insecure. They get nervous. People melt down during tests. Lots of insecurity. And it's children. We'll start with children. Then we'll move on to husbands and wives. And then we'll move on to the Jewish people as Hashem allows me to have time tonight. You have children. Children grow up in the house. And even they get older. The most important thing that parents have to do for a kid is to validate the child. To validate the child. And generally speaking, look in source number 12. Who's the one who validates the child? The mother. Now be careful and be pay a good mind to these sources and some particular words because you're going to see they're going to come back for us. Gemara and Kedushin says, It's revealed and known before the one who said and created the world. A son honors his mother more than his father. That's why the Torah says, say, Kabeda Savicha before Imecha. Why? Look at these words and remember them. Mipei Shemishtad Loso Bidvarim. Because she encourages him and does not treat him harshly. Okay? That's why the son honors the mother. She builds <coughs> up the kid. A mother says, You're okay. Mein Taira Zin. Mein Taira Tochter. You know, I don't care what everybody says. You could be a murderer. You're still a wonderful child. Well, I'm going a little bit too far. You're okay. You don't need to succeed and accomplish to be a somebody. You are okay. You're a nice boy. You have good meadows. So what? You failed the LSATs. So what? You studied for four years and you practiced and you got a terrible grade. By me, you're the best. Okay, maybe you won't be a lawyer. But a nice person you are. I love you. You're great. You're worthwhile. You have something to contribute. What do we call this? Unconditional love. That's what a mother's job is. That's what a mother's job is. Fathers, unfortunately, are not so good at that. Because a father by nature is a little bit different. A father does not validate who we are but what we accomplish. What we accomplish. And that's always an issue between especially fathers and sons. The sons so desperately want their fathers to validate them. But but you failed the LSATs. (laughs) I told you, going on all those parties every night. I told you to be studying... 
let us down. Or you pass the Elsat. Oh, Mamish, Yasher Kayach, I knew you could do it. I saw you were studying. Right. The mother gives unconditional love. You're a good person and you deserve love and respect. You know why? Because you exist. The child automatically feels validated by the mother. You exist. You have potential. That's enough. Hopefully you'll do more. But even without accomplishment, your just being is already amazing. And everybody needs... Is anybody here don't need to feel validated in this room? Right? Okay. We'll talk more about this. Everyone needs to feel valid. Even a king. The king over the whole country. In this situation, they're all rebelling against them. The king needs validation in order to maintain his rules. And if there's not valid, maybe we're going to have to change. And maybe Taka Hashem, even maybe even Hashem has to change. And he needs to be validated within the context of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Look in source 13, the Talmud says that when the Bezdin makes a takana, when they're making a rabbinic ruling, they only can make a takana if the majority of the public is able to abide by it. And that's what it discusses, certain rules. Certain animals, they said you shouldn't be able to raise an Eretz Yisrael because it'll hurt the, the landscape. But they didn't per- prohibit all. Because if it be too much, nobody would listen. Even the rabbis make rules. they got to make a rule that people are going to listen to. So what did Hur do? Hur validated Hashem. And that's what he gets rewarded for. Not for quashing the rebellion. Not for stopping the Avodah Zarah. But for validating Hashem's system. And had Hashem not been validated, then the whole system would have had changed. And it didn't have to be changed. That's what the Medrash is saying. The king is saying, if you would have let me money, I'd give it back to you. For sure, I'd give it back to you. You gave me something more. You validated my kingdom. So you win the war, you don't win the war. You still validated the kingdom. And that's the greatness of Hork. That's what he did. Now the question is, where did Khor get this quality from? This quality, remember, what did Rash, what did the Major say? The Major says, why is Bitsalel the one to do it? Because his grandfather, Khor, what? Validated. HaKadosh Baruch So now what does Rashi say? Go back to that Rashi. What did Rashi say? Who is Chur? The first Rashi of the Chur Rashis? The son of Miriam. He's saying, where did Chur get it from? I already told you his lineage, but now I want to make it clear. Where did Chur get this from? He got it from Miriam. And at source 15, which we've done a number of months ago, about two months ago, I brought the whole source and I just copied it again. We'll briefly review it. We do use it for another reason now. We'll do it for another reason now. Source 15, it says when the Jewish people were doing the backbreaking work, Paro said, we don't want to let them sleep in the house. They, got, they can't sleep on their beds. They made life miserable. Uh, oh no, I don't want that. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Allowed. I wanted 14. I wanted 14. I'm okay. sorry. 14 I wanted. 14. I'm jumping the gun. 
14. Amram was the Godel Hador. Godel Hador. The leader of the generation. And when he saw Parlet was throwing all the babies into the, to the river, he said, we're going to all this work for nothing? He divorced his wife. I'm not going to have any more children. Just so babies get thrown into the ocean. And then everybody else saw that, so they divorced their wives too. I said this. Okay. So we continue a little bit further on. Then Miriam says him, Father, your decree is worse than Paro. Paro only decreed on the males. You're decreeing on the males and the females. Paro only decreed in this world. You're decreeing in this world and in the next world because nobody's being born to go to the next world. Paro, it's not sure if his decree will come true. Maybe yes, maybe no. But you're a tzaddik. Whatever you decree is going to come true. What happens? He got up and he said, you're right. He remarried his wife. They all remarried their wives. So it's fascinating. How is it? Now, Miriam was only about five years old at the time. And here, father is the Godel Ador. So again, what's the question and answer over here? Like, what, what's Miri, What's Amram thinking? Amram saying, what is it? We can't go around this. Our children just getting killed. So what's he thinking? What's Miriam telling him? The answer is, just like we say, the validation. Amram's a man. He's the leader. He's looking for results. He says, what are we bothering? There's no results here. What's going to happen? They're all getting killed. Amram says, we measure Jews by success, by growth, by accomplishment. They got to be a better person. You got to be in growth mode. If they're born and then thrown into the river, there's no accomplishment. There's no point to existence to live for a couple seconds You get thrown into the ocean. And therefore, we won't have any kids. And now I'm going to throw the ball into God's court. God, we're not having kids. You better come up with a solution. You do something to power because we can't live this way. That's the man's approach. Miriam said, Abba. Miriam validated people like a mother for just existing. It's worth it to have a child regardless of what they accomplish. Right? People do not need to justify their existence by accomplishment. The basis of existence is existence itself. Even if the situation prevents them from accomplishing this, mamish what's going on in the news today. You're not going to hear this on the fake news. We'll not report this. In the Senate, they brought a, 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 a what do you call it, a bill to the floor just to have the Democrats vote against it. It's, it's, if you know what's going on in the states now, they're, they're, running, they're, going, they're making abortions. If, you, if abortion fails and the baby comes out alive, you could still kill the baby. You can still kill the baby. So the Democrat, the Republicans put on the Senate floor, so that, and all these people are running for president. I want to put them on record what they're voting for. And basically, they brought the thing to say that a child who's born at the, as a result of a failed abortion has all the rights of a human being. That's all. And, and, and if a doctor would kill it, the doctor would prosecute. Not even to prosecute the mother. And it didn't get enough votes. You need to get 60 votes. So all the Democrats, except for three, they all voted it down. They all voted it down. Kill the baby. Because after all, these are babies who we don't want. They're going to be with birth defects. Right? So, so murder them. You're not going to find us out unless you go to Fox or conservative sites. You're not going to find CNN's not going to report this. No one's going to report it. They're murderers. They're Nazis. 
The United States is becoming a Nazi country. Okay? So, so Miriam's saying they don't have to justify their existence. The kid's born. The basis of existence is existence itself, even if the situation prevents them from accomplishment. Let them be born! They're, I validate them just to be born! And that's what Miriam was throughout her lifetime. Unconditional love for who they are right now as a person to recognize their abilities and potential. So Rashi is saying, well, where did Hor? Why is Bitzal being chosen? Why are we going back to Hor? So Rashi knows the message because Hor stuck up for Hashem. Where did Hor get this idea to validate Hashem when nobody else is validating Hashem? From his mother. Who is also validating Hashem? Who's saying Hashem has decided that they should be killed? That's fine if that's what God decides, but we're not going to prevent them from coming into the world. And that's how she uh, 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 presided over her father. Her father was the father figure, and she was the mother figure. So you got to understand, and that's the real problem with, with single parent families. The father's way alone with no mother's validation of validating a child only when they succeed will never work. If a kid only gets validated with their accomplishments, that's going to create so much more stress for the child. And the fear of failure becomes so great because the son can only measure himself by his accomplishments and he doesn't have any prior validation. He figures if I don't do well on this test, my father thinks I'm a nothing and I'll be a nothing and that stress will make him fail. Because I'm only worth something if I succeed. Right. That's why it's so tragic when a mother passes away when children are so young. But if you already have validation from the mother, she says, you're amazing, you're wonderful. It doesn't matter if you pass the test, you're the best by me, and you'll always be my favorite, and I love you, whatever's going to happen. And now he knows, no matter what it is on the test, there's someone validating him, then the stress is gone. Now, of course, there is a very big thing to the father to exhort the child for future accomplishment once he's already been validated by the mother. And that's why it's a good partnership the father and mother to the one two punch right of course if the mother will just say you're amazing you don't do nothing he'll do nothing right because the mother oh it's unconditional love doesn't get you too far at least you feel good about yourself good self-esteem now we're not talking about a person who's really terrible you know a murderer you don't want the mother to give you uh, you know uh, validation for that but if she gives you a good sense of who you are, and life has, through its ups and downs, as many crises, and when you're in a trough and you're in a crisis, you need a basis of some prior self-validation, and you don't want to go through the threat that failure means you're useless. And that's even in halacha. In halacha, the first few years, it's really the mother is the main nurturer, not the father. Only when the kid gets a little older, then the father takes over to teach him Torah. And that's how they... So in other words, when the kid starts, the mother validates him, just gives him unconditional love. And the kid feels good about himself. Now you're going to Cheder. Now the father's going to teach you Torah. Now you got to know how to read. And you are got to make mistakes. And the father wants to see success. 
The father will give you that conditional love, as it were, because he's trying to prod you on to grow. But that's okay. Once you got the mother giving him a good sense of self, then of course he should have a little bit of push. And then when he does well, he gets the father say, that was amazing. You were great. But he won't have that fear of failure because he already has inside him. The mother says, you're a great kid. Right? And that's why you have all this stress. Though. The kids all this stress. They're taking these tests and this fear of failure. Imagine all these years of pre-med was a waste of time. I, I didn't get enough and I'm finished. You know, life should be filled with challenges that you try to rise to. But it has to be grounded in prior validation regardless of the results. And that, yeah? How does this tie with a general thing of a woman and a man? You say man is chesed and woman is yedira, right? So how would this change? That's perfect. A woman is chesed. No, the woman is yedira. Okay, fine. Let's kind of leave that for a minute. Let's kind of leave that for a minute. Uh, that's a good question, but um, let's just move ahead. So the real challenge is there could be great conflict between the, the father and the mother. The mother's pushing unconditional love. And the father's pushing expectations. You got to make sure it's not in conflict, but it's got to be harmonized. The husband and wife have to make up in advance that they know one's the good cop, one's the bad cop. And they work together. Not that the mother says, no, don't, don't push him at all. And the father says, what are you giving him everything for nothing? They got to work as a team. That, that's when you will have sex, success when you have them both together like that. What's his name? Chur. What does Chur mean in Hebrew? Oh. What's a Chur? It's a hole. A hole. What's the Hebrew word for a female? No. Nikeva. Female, not Nikeva. a young girl, Nikeva. a female. Uh, Nikeva. Nikeva. What's Nikeva mean? Also. A Nekeva, a hole. So Hor acted like a Nikeva. Hor, oh. he's a hole. Nikeva, he had that Nikeva attribute to be able to um, validate a Kodesh Baruch Hu, even though the rest of the world isn't validating it. And uh, and that's the reward. And what's his reward? He has his grandson, Bitzalel. Bitzalel Chazal says, Bitzal kill in the shadow of Hashem. And Hashem is reflected in him since Hur validated God. So Bitzal was only 12 years old. And God gave him so much chachma that he was validated to be the one who could make the Mishka. Well, end of part, not end of part one. So now, that explains this Rashi. But now let's just answer the other two Rashi's quickly. The first Rashi, when Amalek attacks, now the Jews need inspiration. Who are the big inspirers? Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Because really it's the three of them. In the three of them, that was the merit of the clouds and the manna and the water. So now the Jews are fighting Amalek. They need inspiration. Now, really, it should have been who should go up to the mountain? Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. But Pasnish for a woman to go up to the mountain, and everybody's looking at her up there. You can't do that. You have to get a, someone who's the closest replacement. Who's the closest replacement with this female quality? Hor. And what does Rashi say? That Miriam was his mother, and Kalev was her husband. 
Yeah, yeah. So the main focus, it's it's that Hur is the representative of Miriam. Because really, Miriam should be up at that mount to encourage the Jewish people. But it's, it doesn't pass. So Hur, and what? why Hur? Because he's representing Miriam. So the real focus is the mother. Second time, in Parsis Mishpatim, where Moshe says, if you got a case while I'm up on the mountain, you need to speak to somebody. Well, now, it's going to be Hur. Well, Hur there to be a judge. It's not a question of inspiring. It's not a question of validating. Hur has to be who Hur is. So it says he's the son of Miriam and the son of Kol, because that's who he is. In terms of himself. But over here in this Parsha, where the whole idea is that we have validated Hashem and need somebody who can validate Hashem, that's Hur, the son of Miriam, who was the one who first validated Hashem. End of part one. Part two. So now we've talked about validating the king. We talk about validating children. Now let's talk about spouses. You don't think so. We have to validate our children. Don't you think spouses need to be validated by their spouses? Should it be unconditional love between spouses? You know, do we do do wives validate husbands only when they make good money? Only when they learn a lot of Torah if you're in a very Haredi home? Uh, or let's say the reverse, if the wife's the housewife and she takes on another job, we validate her because she brings in a good paycheck. This is where the shalom bias issues really become serious. A spouse has to turn to another spouse and say, I love you no matter how successful you are. When a husband has to go out to work and the wife keeps saying, you know, we have a lot of bills. Are you going to finally make a deal? You've got to finally hold on this job. You've already gone through 15 jobs in the last eight years. When are you going to stay steady job over so we can have some parnasa? Right? So that that's not good. You know, the challenges are hard enough without the extra stress of needing approval based on results. Because that's why a lot of times men will not tell their wives what the real problems are because they figure they're only going to get approval if they succeed, and they don't want to even share what their fears are because that's going to show that they're not that great. And vice versa. So let's move on and come back to that Rashi about the mirrors. And you're going to... Now, you know what the problem is? We all answered so quickly because we think Rashi says what we've been told in Parsha class is what Rashi says. But some is really just to look at the Rashi and see what Rashi really says. So we're going to uh, uh, debunk some wrong theories about that. Yeah, they gave the, 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 the mirrors because they made themselves look beautiful. Let's look at the Rashi and see if Rashi even says that. So let's look in source 11. At the, it's, on, it's on the end of the first page. If you want to look at the English, it's the second page. So he says this was from the Benosi Stroll who had these mirrors, and they would look at them when they wanted to make themselves look pretty. That's what he starts off. And they didn't hold back from giving it. And are the both. This is the most precious. Now look carefully now. 
Shal Yedem, through these mirrors, Hamidu Hanoshib Tzfokos Rabos Mitzrayim. Through these mirrors, the women were able to build up legions of children in Egypt. Keshahoyu Baleim Yegeim Bavodas Perach. When the husbands were all worn out from the Avodas Perach, this is where we actually had to mention those two words, Avodas Perach. We know that they were Yegeim. They would bring food and drink to their weary husband. They would feed them. They would take the mirrors. They both looked at themselves with their husbands. He's not saying they made themselves look beautiful. Maybe they did before, but that's not what the mirror is, the context here. Look at these words. I totally remember them now. Umishtal so bidvarim. What does that mean? She's saying Validating nice words them. to him. Validating. Lomer, I look prettier than you. And that would bring their husbands to be aroused. And then they would have children. This is really brought from a medrash tanhuma. If you look, uh, I don't know where it's going to be now. Uh, where's the Medrash Tanhuma? Source 15. Source 15. It's, he adds a few things. Just it's, it's a long piece. It's all beautiful. But look at the second bolded Hebrew words. He adds a little bit more. They would give him to eat. Zoso Merish. She would say, Ani no I'm prettier than you. Vizel Mer. The man would say, Ani no I'm more handsome than you. What in the world is Rashi doing here? What is going on over here? Is Rashi saying the main thing is they made themselves look beautiful for their husbands? No! Rashi not saying that at all! What's Rashi saying? And why does Rashi add from the Avodas Perach? Just say they were tired. So let's look at the next source. Source 16 and 17, very important. Let's go back over the, the, the Pesach story. Let's start. But what a power is afraid. Listen, I'm afraid they're going to multiply. They're going to, these Jews are going to make their own fifth column, and we got to do something. Let's work them hard. And what does it say in source 16? It didn't work. So the more they made them work, they multiplied even more. So what power's plan? I'm going to work them hard, crush their libidos. They're not going to have kids. What happens? He works them hard. The libidos are fine. That's right. So then what does he do next? What does he do next? Uh, next, it's still in sixteen. So, what is it, next strategy? He made them work real hard work. What, what's going on? You just tried that; it didn't work. You just tried it; it didn't work. So, what are you doing it again for? So, the Medrash explains what's what's avodas perach. The women did the men's work. Perach. No, no, I, that's one interpret. That's the, but it says twice perach over there. That's one, but the other one is the men did m- women's work and the women did men's work. Par was really clever. If I can't work them so hard, it's not stopping them. I'll change their roles. Demoralizing. And that will, for a guy to be changing diapers all day long, he ain't going to feel like a guy. Because the more we learned last week on Shabbos, I mentioned the Chaseif Rechino says a person is shaped by what they do. A 
If a man is changing diapers all day long and sewing clothes and all these things, he's going to start to think he's a, he's a, what do you call it, a super mom or Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom. And if a woman starts laying bricks, she thinks she's Mrs. Dad. And that really suppresses the natural desires. The woman who's supposed to say, I'm a beautiful woman and I want to be with a nice man. And the man says, I'm a virile man, I should be with a woman. All of a sudden, when the man thinks he's a woman, the woman thinks a man, they ain't having any kids. So what's going on over here? And that worked. It worked to the point that the women now, Rashi says, had to go out into the fields and bring the mirrors. And that's why Rashi said, what did Rashi say? They were so tired from what? Avodas Perach. Why did he have to say Avodas Perach? Because Avodas Perach was their jobs were changed. Their jobs were changed. Role reverse. Rashi's bringing the Chazal to show that what were the mirrors used for? Not the way we thought to begin with, the way we thought it to create desire. That's not, that's what it's normally there for. And that's why Moshe figured that's what mirrors are for, even up between a husband and wife in even a permitted way. But that's not something I want to put in the Mishkan just to arouse desire. And Moshe was absolutely right. But the thing is, Moshe doesn't know what he doesn't know. He didn't know this story that these mirrors were for them to recognize the woman to know that I'm a woman and for the man to know that I'm a man. The mirrors were here to give both the husband and wife a sense of what their identities were. That's exactly what Rashi's saying. If you read the Rashi, that's what Rashi's saying. Rashi not just saying, oh, they made themselves beautiful so their husbands were dead. Rashi didn't say it at all. He says that in general, that's what a mirror is for. But in the actual story, and that's what, uh, that, that Moshe thought, well, that was just for, for enticement. And that is absolutely great. If it only would have been that, he was right. But he didn't know all this, this subplot over here. Hashem says the mirrors were given to give both spouses a sense of what their identity is, to reconnect to connect who they really are. And that's very precious. And that's what Hashem said, that's the most precious. The greatest gift a spouse can give a spouse is validation. That should be at the heart of every marriage. The best shalom bias when each spouse buys into the other and validates them. Validation not only makes your spouse feel good, but it also lets them know who they really are. So let's say, for example, the husband, you know, it's hard to make a living now, one spouse. Okay. And we have to want to have certain lifestyles. And if the wife works, it helps a lot. Okay, so let's have a family where the husband's working and the wife's working. And Baruch Hashem, the wife makes a lot of money and helps the family live in a comfortable lifestyle. Now, how should the husband validate his wife? Well, let's think before he validates, what does the wife think of herself? Well, she dresses a very sophisticated suit, you know, business-like suit, because she's middle management. She goes to board meetings. She has her attache case. She has to negotiate deals. What does she think she is? 
she thinks she can go toe-to-toe with all the men and she's really fairly manly. I'm making it in a man's world. Now the husband wants to validate his wife. He appreciates what she's doing. And what is the husband respecting? He's making a good salary. Says, dear, I really appreciate it. You're doing so good and you're making a lot of money for the family. And that helps a lot. Wrong! Because what she's saying, you make a good man. What does a man need another man in the house for? Nice try, but it's the wrong thing to say. So what's the correct validation? Dear, I thank you for what you're doing at the office and bringing in the money. But despite all that, you're a wonderful mother. Because how you validate a person helps them understand who they are. It's important for the husband to validate the wife is a wife. And she's an amazing wife and mother. That's what a woman is. We appreciate you make the money and you have to appreciate it. But that's not what you validate her for. You follow? And that's the point of the medrash. They were holding up the mirrors. And the woman saying, you know, I'm prettier. And the husband says, I'm more handsome to know who you are because the guy thought he was a woman. The woman thought she's a guy. The women were smart and said, we better not, just because we're doing these jobs doesn't mean that's who we are. And the men are doing men, women's work. They think they're Mr. Mom. There ain't no libido anymore. So imagine the wife saying, I really appreciate that you do all the housework now. Imagine, let's just say the woman makes so much more money and the husband is in the house now and he watches the kids. You know, she shouldn't say you're a great Mr. Mom. She says, I still, you know what? You're an amazing father. You still learn a lot of Torah. You bring Torah into the house. You see, the more you do something every day, the more you start to identify yourself as that. But that's not necessarily true. So men were thinking they're like women. They have no libido. The women are thinking like they're men. For sure there's no libido. So what the Rashi is saying is that the man has to validate the wife in her role as a woman and the woman has to validate uh, the man as his role as a husband. A correct validation helps us believe who we are and not to believe we are from what we do. And that's what Rashi is saying. The spouses told each other what they really were and not to identify by what they do. And the women use the mirrors for that purpose only. Now you know why the modern world is falling apart. This women's liberation was the destruction of the world. Men, young millennial men, don't know, have any orientation to their sex at all. They don't know what's going on and no one's happy. Okay, so the second point, validate your spouse as who they really are, not by what they do. Husbands set standards and wives empower. The validator makes you who you really are. It's not what you do, and that's the job of validation. And that's why the Rashi ended off. And what did they use the cure for? Rashi then says, didn't talk anything about the Kohanim. It says if a husband and wife were not sure if the wife was fooling around with another guy, this is where she drinks the salt of water from. Why? To bring Shalom by. There's got to be a reason why a woman is even thinking of fooling around with another guy. 
Now, one thing's for sure, she has not been validated as being a proper wife and mother. That's for sure. And therefore, you have this problem. So when she looks at these mirrors, she begins to remember what Jewish women are all about and what Jewish men are supposed to be all So about. really, Moshe didn't know this? That part he didn't know. He he he's not Hashem. That was done in. He was he wasn't in Egypt at the time. He wasn't even in Egypt. No, he wasn't there. He didn't know that. He can't know what he doesn't know. He knows what's a mirror for to make a woman look beautiful, and he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. If Hashem doesn't give him a piece of information, you should know what the women did with it here. He didn't know that. They didn't tell him when they. No, he didn't know. Okay, so that answers the second question. I've only got eight minutes to go. I don't know if I can answer the, all the first questions. Let me try hard. So he asked about all this thing of uh, of uh, gathering everybody together and all these things over here. So uh, life is filled with a lot of conflict, as we can see. The question is, can there ever be unity amongst people. You know, Talmud says everybody's just like they look different, they think different. Life is filled with conflict. How can we ever make peace between people? How can you get everybody to get together if we all understand that we all come from one source? Hashem. If we come from one indivisible entity and we're all of a neshama tahira, we come from one pool of soul, then we should all be able to get along. Even if we're so doing it along, just like Fire and water, although they're opposites, they can get along because they have the same creator. That's what you saw in Makkah's Barad. Fire and water can get along if they remember who they're working for. With this idea, we can now understand what Hashem is telling here. There was a mitzvah of Shabbos, but I'm telling you there's a little bit more to Shabbos. Keeping Shabbos isn't just keeping the 39 prohibited activities and davening in shul. The most important part of Shabbos is there has to be unity amongst the Jewish people on Shabbos. Why? Because what, why do we keep Shabbos? Why do you keep Shabbos? To tell the whole world that God created the world, right? God works and created the world. Yeah, really there's a God? How come his people are, not, are fighting with each other? If it's one God who created the world, why are Jews fighting with us? Why are they fighting? Must be, there must be many gods. The fact that Jews get together on Shabbos and are friends and they're unified no matter how diverse they are, that's the biggest proof that there's one God in the world. And that's why you're really keeping Shabbos, aren't you? You're keeping Shabbos for that purpose. And that's what the Yalkut Shimoni is emphasizing. That just being there together is also an accomplishment. He said, you got to get by, he gathers them together. He says, you know what? This is what Hashem wants. We have to be gathered together and that's how we keep Shabbos. And that's why he says in the next Pesach, he says to them all, that's what Hashem wants. You got to be together. That's keeping, besides everything else on Shabbos, you're not machal, if you're machal Shabbos, you don't believe God created the world either. You're keeping Shabbos, but I don't talk to him. He's not my friend. I'm not going to talk to him on Shabbos. We're not all going, the rabbis here in Rosh, I don't have to go. No, the whole shul comes. There's unity amongst the Jewish people. That's the biggest proof. There's a God who created the world six days and rested in the seventh. That's what's being told over here. And that's what the mayor said. That's why Jews have to always get it. And if you do that, I'll consider it like you coronated me, says Hashem. Because that's really keeping Shabbos. 
but it's not only by Shabbos. Pasuk Dalid that says, oh, he spoke to all the Kaddish, he tells him about the Mishkan. He says, don't think that while they were here already, ugh, it'd be hard for them to go back and I'll have to come back again. You know, oh, well, you're here, I'll just talk about the Mishkan. No, it says again, he spoke to the whole congregation. He says, just like you need a whole congregation to keep Shabbos, you need a whole congregation to build a Mishkan. You need unity in the Mishkan. Go, what's a Mishkan? A Mishkan's like a base of Mingish. What's so personal about it? That's where God's presence yeah. rests, the God of the whole world. How is he the God of the whole world if everybody's not gathered together in the one place to worship the one God? That's why just like Shabbos, everyone has to be unified to build a base. Why was the base of destroyed? Why? We go and get along with each other. That means no one can tell you're worshiping one God. Right? So why now is this told? Why couldn't Hashem said this in the first time? At Mora. Why couldn't he tell us all at Mora? We should all be gathered. Why now? What's up is now? The answer is now is after the golden calf. Look at source 19. It says, in addition to the original image which was pronounced, the major one, the air fabricated another 12 calves, one for each tribe. Mm. Once you start worshiping someone else, there's no end to how many different opinions you have. There's one God, there's one God. Remember at Sinai, back to 18, I told you this many months ago, the, the Sinai revelation in Sefer Dvarim, it says it four times, to give you one example, where it says, when Hashem spoke on the mountain, Biyom HaKahol, at, Sinai is called the Yom HaKahol, the day the Jews became a Kehila. They congregated. Why? Because the same thing had to be at Sinai. If God's giving us the Torah, it has to be in front of every. You have to be unified. If you're not unified, what Torah am I giving you? It's got to be a Torah of one God, mass of the whole world. How do you know that? We're all together in this. And Sinai, they were all together. And it was beautiful. And they were all together. I wouldn't have to tell you anything about Shabbos being together. But what happens? They worship the golden calf. And once they worship the golden calf and they have 12 calves, idolatry by definition means there are many more powers and there's no unified oneness of Hashem and it erodes the basic unity of the people. So now after the golden calf, he says, I got to tell you, Shabbos is going to be a lot different now. Because Shabbos, you got to really be unified on Shabbos. When you build a Mishkan, you got to be unified because we lost a lot of that unity at Har Sinai and we never know. I want to ask you, What's the best recipe to not have seen us chinam if everybody feels validated? Why is there so much seen us in the world? Because you don't think I'm special. I got to prove to you I'm special. I'll make you miserable and you'll see how special I am. People talk lush and horror because they have good self-esteem or bad self-esteem. So now you understand what's going on over here. We're building a mishkan to show this one God. We have to be unified, and every single person has to be validated. You mentioned giving a donation. You don't have much to give to Betzal. Oh, that's all you gave? Betzal is the person, the grandson of Chor, knows how to validate everybody who brings a contribution. We're building a mishkan that will validate every human being. That's the whole theme of Ayakal. The whole Parsha is validation. Kahalachad, one people. Everyone gets along when everybody feels validated. You have to have a mother who gives the unconditional love and the father who says, no, I expect more. You could do more and you'll get my validation. But you still have validation from your mother. A husband and wife have to validate a husband for what a husband is, not for being Mr. Mom. And a husband has to validate a wife for being what a wife is. And if everybody validates everybody, you have all this shalom bias. And now, during the week, it's not so easy. 
During the week, you might think you're a lawyer. And that's your success. During the week, you think, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wife who's a working mom. And that defines my who I am. But on Shabbos, we don't work. We are. We exist. And Hashem says, you're worthwhile no matter what your job is. Shabbos is the day where Hashem gives us validation. And we go into a shul, unified as people, where we all validate each other. And we repair. Since we don't do, we won't make that mistake. And Shabbos is like the mirror, where we look at ourselves and show what we are. And others should validate what we have. And by getting along on Shabbos, that testifies to what Shabbos testifies. Baruch Hashem, we did it all. Now I have to come with something else for Shabbos. Okay.